Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we have hearts that are very hungry now for your word. We thank you for this time of praise that we have had opportunity to lift up our voices and express our great love for you, Lord, and our thanksgiving and acknowledging that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we bless your name, Lord, and we thank you for the gathering that is here today. And now we ask that that you would open up our minds and hearts to respond and receive your word and welcome it, and that it would change our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit at work among us. We pray, Father, that if there's any heart here that's hardened or does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. And we pray, Father, that you would be pleased to bless us here this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There's an old sundial in St. David's Church, Stormontfield, Perth, Scotland, circa 1837. Inscribed on the dial, you may be able to see yourself, is a Scottish phrase. I wish I had brogue right now. Some, but I'll, I'll just have to deliver it in Canadian and, and you'll have to listen. But it says on there, Tactento time, ere time be tint, for time will no remain. Which means, take thought of time before time is ended. There's an urgency, isn't there, to time. But there's no urgency that compares to the urgency of our souls and the status of our heart with God. And the story we're about to encounter today in John chapter 9 is a story of the urgency of a heart that is in darkness represented by eyes that are in darkness. We can't emphasize enough the urgency and importance of the state of our souls before the Lord. And the question that, the main question that grows out of this event, this story, is are you still in darkness spiritually? That question is to be answered today, needs to be answered today. Seems that as... Um, Jesus is leaving the Feast of Tabernacles, which we left him at last week, that the lamp lighting ceremony, if you remember, and he spoke forth and said that he is the light of the world. As he's leaving from the temple courts, he meets a man who's born blind, a man living in darkness. And we learn that this man is in double darkness. One darkness is regrettable, but the other is fatal, eternally. This is um, less a story about physical healing, although it is, and more about the urgency of the state of the man's soul and our souls. And so you have this blind guy who's the target of what the light of the world can do. And I, I really believe that the, the essence of this event is summarized in 
John 9, 3 and 4, which says, so that the works of God might be manifested in him as long as it is day. That's, the key, that's a key uh, insight in how to understand what's going on here. So that the works of God might be manifested in him, and then there's a time limit, so long as it is day. So let's look at the text. The question that we're looking at is, are you blind? As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but so that the work of God might be displayed in his life as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which by the way means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. No, please, not this again. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. 
Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. You know that God does not listen to sinners. He listened to the, the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of op opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. It's the word of God. So a lot of questions jump out at us from this story. I'm sure they're rolling around in your mind right now. The are you blind have, no, of course I can see. Can you? Have you ever been blind? No, I've always been able to see. Have you? Well, what kind of sight are you actually talking about? in this story. So the disciples take the first shot at this poor guy. Obviously he's well known. Everybody had an opinion concerning the length of his malady and what caused it. We need to, we need to address the question, is this about sin? Because everybody thinks so. Surely his parents sinned or surely he sinned because we insist on putting the blame on anything that we see that is wrong. Surely someone's responsible for this. We like cause and effect wrapped up in a box and tidied up with a bow that answers all of our questions. Particularly about suffering even though we admit in our own lives that suffering is quite a mystery. Why it falls on this person and not on that person. Why the righteous suffer and the unrighteous don't suffer or sometimes they suffer. What? What's the common thing? What's the blame? How can, we, how can we focus in on cause and effect so that we will know how to escape suffering? 
We need a why. We need a why every time. Suffering. Oh, you're suffering. Why? Why, God, me? Why is this happening to me? Did I sin? Did my parents sin? Did somebody around me sin? Why? What happened? Let's, let's settle that sin and suffering are connected. But not regularly the way we think or in a tidy, tidy way. Certainly not cause and effect necessarily personally. Why this person suffers and that person doesn't suffer. While that child is born disabled and in a wheelchair for the rest of its life. And while this, why this child is born perfectly healthy. Who sinned? Who caused this? Why? Why did this happen? We want an answer. We want to know who to blame. What to blame? No question, sin and suffering are connected. But not always personally. The connection between sin and suffering goes back to the Garden of Eden. That's where it began. We all live in a fallen world. We live in a sin-riddled world. And we regularly, through no fault necessarily of our own, become the victims of the collateral damage of a broken, fallen world. It's not we who sinned or our parents who sinned or this person who sinned. It's because we live in a sinful world. So it's always generally sin and suffering are connected as consequences of living in a fallen world. And you often and I often won't get the answer to the question, why, other than that one, just because we live in a fallen world. But there's incredible good news. We're, we're not left here to the fate of that. But the good news here is that fallen creation has to submit and respond to the good works of God. That, that's, the, that's the encouragement of this story. The man born blind is healed of his blindness. Why? Because God can do that. God can heal your suffering. God, God can, can help you in what you're going through. It, this is to demonstrate the work of God might be displayed in his life. The disciples had decided that years decided his years of suffering could be summed up in a judgment on the person himself who sinned. And most people followed along. Who can we blame for this poor sucker's misfortune? So let's put the boots to him. While he's down, and clearly he must deserve it. How abusive we are to people. How insensitive we are, how unkind we are, how quick to judge we are, how harmful we are, and how not true we often are. Jesus makes it clear quickly, it wasn't because of the sin of his parents and it wasn't because of his sin. What you are assuming is not true. 
What you are presuming is not true. Can I just sort of exhort us this morning in the suffering around us of our brothers and our sisters and our friends and all of that, that we stop and ponder and grow quiet and not be quick to judge what we have no idea is actually happening. We need to be more quiet. Is this story about healing? Well, absolutely yes, it's about healing. But it's more than your eyes can see. There are worse things than being physically blind. That's what this story is tending to point out. Being blind to the light of Christ is much worse. That's why I said that um, there was double darkness here. He was darkness from birth, which is regrettable, but he was also in darkness spiritually, which is eternally fatal. So yes, there's healing here, but you know, there's lots of blind people around that Jesus can heal. Why this man? Why this moment? Why at this point? Jesus had already healed other blind people. This healing was intended to be more comprehensive than just his eyes. Jesus had grandstands of people chasing physical appetites. If Jesus, if, if, if all I have to do is turn to Jesus and, and I get health and wealth, then count me in. I'm interested in Jesus. He had all kinds of people following him around, hoping to get something taken care of in their lives. He had no shortage of that, no shortage of crowds. We hear all of that kind of message today. Come to Jesus and you'll be healthy and wealthy. What about the blind man who was born blind? This is not so much how God heals as what God can do. Jesus demonstrates the manifestation of God's work to bring the light. Jesus demonstrates to us here the urgency of that work in everybody's life, not just the blind man, but the urgency of responding to the light of the world. In this story, Jesus exposes how truly messed up hearts are. We, we have examples of his, his neighbors, his parents, the religious elite, all with messed up hearts, can't see what's really going on here. And last but certainly not least, Jesus opens up for us the ability of Jesus to summon the works of the age to come into the present. We all know that someday there will be no more physical blindness. There will be no more people disabled in wheelchairs. Children born in wheelchairs who know the living God someday will leap like a calf and run and dance and have joy. And, and, and those who were blind will see and those who can't hear will hear and those who are crying will have their tears wiped away and those who are sick will always feel well and those who are 
fearful of death, will taste death no more. That's all waiting in the age to come for those who love Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And Jesus yanks that into the present moment right here. And that's what he does. Every time, every time Christ heals you or helps you in your suffering or wipes away your tears and encourages your heart, he is dragging something from the age to come into the present reality of your life and saying, here, here, enjoy and benefit right now from what is to come for all eternity. That's what this story is about. Is this story about Jesus? Sure, it's about Jesus. Absolutely. This is a mercy transaction as a sign. This is one of the signs. The blind man's one of the seven signs that the Messiah is among them. A man of, of little medical hope in that ancient world. People who were born blind did not get eye transplants. It was God or nothing. We, we don't live in a time like that. When some medical emergency comes to us, we go to the emergency department. The first thing in our mind is, let's get an ambulance, let's go to the hospital, let's go to a doctor. But for them, it was God or nothing. <laughs> we need a little bit more of that in our lives. In fact, we need a lot more of that in our lives because, beloved, it is God or nothing. There are tools at our disposal and all of that that are that God has given to us, but it is God or nothing ultimately. And so in this mercy transaction, Jesus lines up three really important signs about just who this is. This is Messiah. It's saliva, salome, and Sabbath. How's that for easy alliteration? Saliva, salome, and Sabbath. Jesus takes his saliva, spits on the ground, and, and starts to mold some dust. Now, now, of course, excretions were always in the Old Testament. Leviticus were always a reference to unclean things. And here Jesus is saliva in the ground because he makes everything clean that he does. And here he is molding in the dust. What does that kind of remind you of? Doesn't it remind us of creation? We were, you, you do know how you were made, don't you? You were made out of dirt that God put together. And here he is creating eyes right on the spot. And he tells him to go to Salome and wash his eyes. Uh, Salome is a transliteration of the Hebrew reference Shiloh. Maybe that sounds familiar to you. Shiloh. Maybe it doesn't. For you Old Testament Genesis scholars, there is a reference. Jacob's blessing on his family. A reference to Messiah in Genesis 49 verse 10, where Jacob blesses his, the tribe, blesses his men, his sons, and he says this, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. This is a direct reference. When Jesus says, go to Salome, go to the pool of Salome, which is transliterated Shiloh, 
It is a message. The word means actually sent. And Jesus is the sent one from the Father. The sent one is sending the blind man to sent, to the pool of sent, which is Shiloh, because this is the moment Messiah has arrived the, the tri, from the tribe of Judah. Here he is standing in the presence of this blind man, declaring himself Messiah. And for good measure, he decides to do it on the Sabbath. There were any number of days that that blind man was sitting around there. But for good measure, Jesus does it on the Sabbath. Why? Because he has already reminded them before that God is always at work. Seven days a week, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. And we are eternally grateful that he is. Aren't you glad that this is a day of rest? Aren't you glad that, day, that God doesn't take it off? I mean, aren't we counting on the works of God happening when we gather together? Doesn't it matter that, that the works of salvation could happen today in this place? What if God was taking the day off? He doesn't take any days off. This man was blind on the Sabbath. He needed to be healed that day. Jesus demonstrates his authority over the Sabbath because he's a God of the Sabbath. Jesus creates. He shows divine authority. He reverses taboos and he fulfills prophecies. Oh, it's about Jesus. That's all that it's about. It's totally about Jesus. Is this about salvation? Yes, this is about salvation. Jesus intends for it to be. He's going to ask him at the end of this story, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's, that's the most important question you will ever answer in your life. Do you believe in the Son of Man? That's why our signs say, do you believe? It's the most important question that's ever asked of a person. And he's going to ask it at the very end because this is about salvation. The man was made to be saved and, and to receive the works of God. Do you believe that? This man, this blind man was made to be saved. He was made to receive the works of God and made the way he was for that salvation to take place. Being blind was the disability that gave him the ability to need God. He needed the light of the world. If anybody needed the light of the world, it was a blind man. He needed the light of the world. What exactly does that phrase or description even mean when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world? That he's only going to go around and heal people who can't see with their eyes? That's not what it means. Sure, he can do that. But it means something far deeper, a situation far more needy than that. He's the light of the world that he might give us the light of salvation through, Jesus, through himself in our hearts the blindness of our hearts. That's what this is all about. This is not so much how God heals or even that he heals. We know he does. But how God saves. And who gets saved versus who doesn't get saved. Now, now watch this. This is about how salvation happens. Jesus demonstrates to all of us for all time how he does the heavy lifting of salvation. And the best way to illustrate it is through a blind man. The best way to physically help us to metaphorically understand how salvation occurs 
is to demonstrate it with a blind man, and particularly a blind man who was blind from birth. I want you to watch how this happens because this, this shows us what the condition of lostness is really like. What the condition of spiritual lostness in our heart is really about. How disabled are we spiritually? That's the question that's answered here. And we are ultimately spiritually disabled in terms of seeing the light of Christ. Watch. This man couldn't see at all. And that's the plight of people in spiritual, the state of spiritual lostness. They can't see at all. We are dead. We were born dead in our trespasses and sins. They couldn't, you can't see. Not only that, he couldn't see that Jesus could see him. How many times have you um, thought in your moments of suffering, does God even see me? Is God, even, is God even paying any attention to the brokenness of my heart? Is, does God see the agony of my days? Does God even see this? And, and when we're on our knees praying for a lost child or a lost spouse or a, a lost friend or family member, we ask the question, does, does God even see them? Does God even care about... The fact that I've been pouring out my heart for the last decade, does, does, can God see the lost child I have? This man couldn't see that Jesus was approaching him because he was totally blind. He couldn't see that, that this man, the man that all, all the stir was about, was leaving the temple courts and heading in his direction. He couldn't see him from afar because he couldn't see anything at all. And that's, beloved, the state we were in before Christ came to our lives. We could see that he could see us. But not only that, he couldn't, he couldn't seek Jesus. It, it wouldn't matter if someone said, hey, there's this guy, Jesus. He, you, you, ought to, you ought to check him out. He's a blind beggar. He couldn't possibly. He couldn't possibly seek Jesus. He could hand him a tract. Four spiritual laws, here they are. People who have are lost, they, they can't seek Jesus. That's why Paul writes in Romans 3, 10 and 11, no one seeks God. No one understands. Not only couldn't he seek Jesus, he couldn't find Jesus even if he tried because he's blind. You can't find what you can't see and what you can't seek. That's why the scriptures teach us Jesus must draw. Jesus had to find him. 
And the fifth characteristic that's similar to all of us is he couldn't pay for help because he's a beggar. He had nothing. Can't pay God. You can't earn your way to God. We come to God with nothing spiritually. We are spiritual beggars in need of the grace of the manifest riches and glory of a saving Christ. That's how salvation happens. He brought nothing. He deserved nothing. And this mercy transaction was a grace transaction by God. That's how salvation comes to you and to me and to everyone that we're on our knees praying for. Oh God, I know you can see them and I know you know they need you and I know you can draw them to yourself. Oh God, be merciful to them and draw them to you. And we don't give up because one day Jesus might pass by. We can't leave this story without at least pointing out that there's a crowd of people always around salvation who miss it, who miss out on it. And, and this gives us such an insight as to why. This is about the ones that salvation often tragically passes by. Jesus said, listen, I must do the works of God while it is light. But he made this, this statement, the night is coming. And the first group is the crowd. The crowd, you know, who, who knew this beggar? They'd, they'd seen him day after day as they were coming back and forth to the temple or whatever, and, and, and they saw him begging. And, and, and this, these are the people who represent those who don't believe in a holy visit. They, they, their, their response is, it must be some other guy. We, we know of this blind guy, but he was too far gone. There's no way that, that something could have happened to him this spectacular. It, it can't be him. It's got to be a different guy. How messed up are hearts that, that would rather consider every other bizarre idea than that God could possibly be real among them and at work. It, it's got to be some guy who looks like him. There's no possible way that, that God could have done something like this. They just won't buy it. <laughs> People in our world, no matter what they see, no matter how much of the work of God they see, no matter what they see in your life, no matter the transformation they see in your life from what you were to what you now are, they will explain it away. It must be some, some other explanation. And then there's the religious self-righteous, the Pharisees, you know, in verses 14 to 17, 24 to 34. Well, you know, they don't want to see what they see. They, can't, they have to acknowledge it happened. Yes, this guy, it is the guy because they go and ask his parents. The parents confirm, okay, so it is the guy. And they have to acknowledge that the guy was born blind and now he can see. So they've got to, they got to own up to the reality that everybody sees. But it can't possibly be the work of God as far as they're concerned because this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And God doesn't work through sinners. Because he healed on the Sabbath. 
which actually, again, they've disqualified themselves because we all know that Jesus has already settled that argument with them. You circumcise little baby boys on the eighth day if it's the Sabbath. So you do work. And here I am healing a blind man, healing his whole life, and you call me a sinner. Jesus claims that it's the work of God in his life. They claim this man Jesus is a sinner. They both can't be right. It's either the work of God or Jesus is a sinner. What do you believe? How crusted up are hearts that don't want to believe so badly that they manufacture reasons not to believe and blaspheme God in the process. Calling Jesus a sinner is blasphemy. By the way, there are people out there today, right now I heard a video this week with my own ears, someone dressed in robes, Christian garb, Christian garb, claiming Jesus was a sinner. Shouldn't the religious elite have been hosting a praise party? This man was blind and now he can see and God is at work among us. Isn't that why we gather here on Sundays to rejoice and to praise God and acknowledge that God is at work among us? God is at work in my life. Isn't that why we join together and praise Him? Shouldn't the religious leaders be the ones leading that? Get new religious leaders if they can't see the work of God. He was blind and now he sees so they decide uh, that uh, in verse 28 and 29, they decide that, that the, the group must decide between Moses and Jesus. You can have one or the other, but you got to pick. If you pick Jesus, we're throwing you out of the synagogue. This is where the synagogue and the church departed for good. That's the explanation for what's happening in our day. That's why the church and the synagogue are not together. And the, the tragic reality of that is for Christians, we pick both. Moses and Jesus. Why? Because Moses desired in his heart for the days of Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of of Moses' teaching and desires. We don't have to pick or choose. We pick Jesus, who Jesus is, Messiah. Moses is that great prophet. You might be interested to know that even today, in the repatriation of Israel, when Jews are coming back to Israel and asking for citizenship, They can pick Moses, and they can pick no God at all and get repatriated in citizenship. But if you're a Messianic Jew, you will not get citizenship in Israel. You can be an atheist, but not a Christian, and be a Jew. What about the parents? The parents, they say, is this your son? Sure, this is my son. Was he blind? Yeah, sure, he's blind. How did he get to see? Ask him. He's old enough to tell you himself. Why did they do that? 
because they represent those people who are embittered because of their shame and afraid of more shame. They had been shamed ever since this kid was born. People were wandering around. We hear, we hear the rumors. People are wandering around saying, this guy's blind because his parents sinned. They had been shamed and ostracized, misjudged and mistreated. Perhaps they're the most disappointing because how dried up must a heart be for a parent whose fear and shame has greater hold on them than the welfare of their son? But your son can see. Why wouldn't you rejoice? The, the son that's been begging for crumbs of bread all his life, kicked around and insulted. Why wouldn't you rejoice? They've been bearing the shame and guilt of blame heaped upon them by the judgmental. And their pain is so great that's embittered them. And even in the second time, it's a, the explanation is, that this is why, it says in verse 23, that, that was why his parents said he is of age, ask him, because it had already been stated that anyone who acknowledged Jesus as Messiah was getting kicked out of the synagogue and they couldn't bear more shame. They couldn't bear more, more being ostracized. And so here's, the, here's the, the painful part of all of that and who they represent. They would prefer the safety of ignorance rather than to have to live a life that matches the reality of what they saw, which would bring more insults and persecution. Beloved, this represents so many people who refuse to see with their eyes and receive with their hearts the offer of salvation because they don't want to pay the price of persecution and insults and being thrown out of the family, being thrown out of the synagogue, being thrown out of the mosque, whatever it is. And they would rather die in ignorance than risk the salvation that only Jesus Christ can bring and the insults and trouble that come with it. Who are you? The one healed said to them, well, if God doesn't listen to sinners and I'm healed, Jesus must not be a sinner. <laughs> he played mind games with the Pharisees and they were always unarmed. And then they do the predictable. They cancel him and whenever people lose an argument and they think they're pretty special and proud, they throw insults. That's how you know that they've lost the argument. They call him one steeped in sin since the womb. Great. And then they do their best Greta Thunberg impression. How dare you lecture me? They prove unqualified for their roles as Israel's leaders and religious leaders because they can neither hear nor understand the works of God. You are disqualified as a religious leader 
if you can't hear or understand the works of God. So how do we wrap this up? This is about to whom salvation happens very, very quickly. Everyone is dead in sins and spiritually blind. But Jesus finds him, it says in the text, verse 35, Jesus finds him and he asks him this most important question, do you believe in the Son of Man? It's the question that Jesus asked you one day in your life if you know him and you responded, do you believe in the Son of Man? He had spent his life forsaken by all, by his neighbors, by the religious authorities, even by his own parents. The psalmist reminds us, even if my parents forsake me, you will not. Jesus found him and he asked, he asked Jesus the question, Lord, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus says, the one who you are now seeing, in fact, the one who is speaking to you is he. And in that moment, God's saving work came upon him and he confessed his belief, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing, he experienced life in his name. And he fell down on his knees, it says, he worshiped him. That's what worship was, to fall down and worshiped him. I'd love to close right there and we're ready to end this story, but it doesn't end there. The huge tragedy of this story, as much as the glory of this guy's salvation, is about the Pharisees watching and listening and hearing this man respond to God. Christ standing before him, the living God, is all they can say is, what? Are we blind too? <laughs> this is the worst situation of all. Those who are public witnesses to the great work of God that is undeniable, that they see with their eyes and understand the implications and rebelliously reject it anyway. And Jesus says to them, if you were blind, in other words, if you really honestly hadn't seen this and didn't understand it, then you would not be guilty of the sin of this moment. It's still guilty of sin, but not guilty of the sin of this moment. But you need to understand the urgency of this moment since you claim that you can see. Your guilt remains. He was closing the light down for them. There is a daylight time where the offer of salvation is open, but there is a time when the night 
comes and the offer no longer is available. Their rebellious rejection of the plain, in plain sight, the work and salvation work of Jesus Christ disqualified them irrevocably to ever have the light. Their time had passed. One hopeless, blind man is saved and many self-satisfied in their own blindness let the daylight pass them by and are forever lost in the darkness of God's rejection of them. So the question, the important question goes out this morning. Do you believe in the Son of Man? A few moments we're going to sing a song together of great, a great song of the revelation of who God is in lyric. And maybe you're here this morning and for the first time you have understood how to answer that question. Do you believe? Or you want to answer that question. While we're singing together, the pastors who are here are going to be right at the front and if you want us to pray for you because you need Jesus in your life and you know it, then you come forward during the singing of this song and we will pray with you right here on the spot. This question needs to be answered. If you're watching online and you want to answer that question, contact us. Our Father, we pray now because the same saving work that occurred then is available now. The work of God is available because the light is now available. We don't know if it's going to not be available after the service. The, the light is available now. The night is coming. So Father, I pray that you would do your saving work, any that needs to be done in this place today or uh, to those who are listening. For Jesus' sake, I pray, amen.